You'll never know when you might find an adventurous mountain climber living in Queens, living as a religious Orthodox woman, and she also happens to be a therapist. This one was interesting. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Consciously, welcome back. Okay, we have a great episode for you today. An old friend, old work colleague, friend, uh, someone I really admire. Really grateful to introduce her to you. But first, uh, thanks for joining us. Do us a favor, give us a five-star review, and subscribe to the podcast, especially on Apple. It helps us to get the good word out. Also invite you to check out our social media pages, uh, Delight Revealed, on Instagram and on Facebook. And you can also check me out at Menachem Puzz on Instagram. And I'm also on Facebook, but I don't go there. Dangerous neighborhood. Um, also, uh, you can email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com, and you can check out our books, Stepping Out of the Abyss, and Consciously. Okay, today we have a wonderful friend and colleague, uh, Mrs. Khani Delman. Uh, Khani's a licensed psychotherapist in private practice for 12 years uh, out in Queens and also here in Cedarhurst. Khani's a certified prenatal mental health specialist focusing on prenatal mood disorders, loss and bereavement, and infertility. Khani also works with couples and partners of those struggling with addiction. Khani facilitates support groups for an organization called Knafayim for intimacy loss. And Khani was previously the clinical director at Madregos. That's where we get to know each other. Uh, Khani's a grateful, busy mom, living in Queens with her husband, raising their four boys, and a little princess who recently joined them. I had a really wonderful conversation about a lot of those different topics and got to know Khani, and I was kind of shocked by what I had to learn about her. She's a very adventurous person, as you'll hear. So I uh, hope you enjoy. Here she is. Okay, hey, Connie, how's it going? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Menachem. I really, really appreciate you putting the extra effort in to come down, and I'm really excited to share you with our audience, and thank you for coming to the interview. Um, okay, so people have a sense of who you are. Um, we met when you were at Montrego's, working yes. over there, doing work with adolescents. And we did a few Rosh Hashanah retreats together. That was like really, really cool. Uh, really a lot of fun. And it's great to interact in this kind of environment. All right, so if you're listening for the first time, the way these interviews go is we give our guests the questions ahead of time, the seven questions, the same seven questions for everybody. And the idea is, first of all, to get to know people at a really great level of depth, but also kind of uh, in an intimate way that's not like intimate. I guess, right? And then, uh, and then also try to give them the opportunity to share their strength and to pick up from them the kind of things that are working for them to make them amazing. And we think you're amazing, Connie, so Thanks. we appreciate you coming. <laughs> okay, so the, as everyone knows, the, the first three questions are focused on that first part, getting to know our guest. And I asked you, Connie, to think about... I asked you, Connie, to think about your most favorite place in the world. And I asked you to try to be as exact as possible. Um, like if you were going to pick Jerusalem, because, you know, it's Jerusalem. You know, where where in the old city? Why? Like give us a real sense of your favorite space in reality and um, what makes it your favorite. Okay. Um, I racked my brain over this one. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead straight up and break the rules. It's not one place. I'm so sorry. You can break the rules as many times as you want. Awesome. I want to just say that. Like I've 
Yay. So many people have sat here and apologized. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like this pressure of like, right. oh, all these other therapists are answering these questions. Who's right. going to be the best one to answer? <laughs> so I you did really try to pinpoint the wall on the coattail. Okay. You know? um, so I am really, really fortunate to be married to a tour guide, practically. He has a regular job too, but we love to travel. Um, and we travel a lot all over the world, um, just us with our kids. And we hike a lot. So my favorite place in the world becomes many places we have been hiking. Um, we've hiked in the Italian Alps, Via Ferretta. We went to the Swiss Alps skiing, so the top of there, Norway, you know, the fjords. Just this past summer, I was in Washington. I hiked Mount Rainier with my two big boys, 15 and 13. And so all these places have one thing in common. Well, a few things in common. They're mountains. They're mountains. (laughs) They're hiking. That's a big part of it. But what happens on these mountains is I'm extremely disconnected. So there's no phone. No one needs me. I'm not cooking. Um, I'm not fixing anyone's problems. And I'm very connected to who I'm with, whether that's my husband, whether that's my kids, whether that's my best friend. We hike a lot sometimes. And it is the best connection there is just God. I really make an effort to find the Marabu Masacha Hashem, point it out to my kids, be in it, breathe see it. I think there's just so much in the world that, um, and I and I look forward, we have Peru Machu Picchu coming up this summer. So, wow. yeah. Really, like, seriously. Yeah, it, and it's just, that's my places. So, I couldn't pick one. Because <laughs> I went through all our vacation books, I couldn't pick one. No, that's great. That's really, I mean, first of all, it really drives to the point of the question. So, I appreciate that. And it's it's very specific, but and it's similar to other things that people have said, but but there's some very specific ways in which it's different. I wanted to ask you about those. So first of all, it always entails a hike, which is interesting. That requires a lot of effort, yeah, strenuous physical activity. Yes, uh, for someone who spends their life sitting, right? yes. <laughs> which is one of the yeah. downsides of this of this. Uh, occupation, right? So so that's one part. The fact that you're like climbing and you're climbing mountains. Right, so that's another thing. They're not easy hikes. No, they're not. So that's one piece I wanted to kind of ask you about. I'll we'll get to that in a second. So why that? Why do you think that? You know, what 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 is unique about that, and how does that speak to you as a person? That's another part. And then the other part you talked about, like disconnecting in order to connect, which is interesting. You're talking about connecting to God. You, you alluded to this, you know, in the in the recovery circles, they talk about the great outdoors being a great, uh, yeah. you know, connection to God, right? So that so there's like a certain experience, so to speak, of the divine that occurs in those wondrous places. And it sounds like you've been to a lot of places because you, you could, you know, you could go to Muncie, yep. you know, and find a nice and we've overlook, been there too. and that's nice. But but clearly, there's something as a person who's kind of been to a lot of these places. What is that? What have you learned from like that, like Peru and yeah. the Alps, and so just you know, to so add like, to how that, does that, how is that different? Yeah. So just to add to that, um, I actually made it mandatory, mandatory hike Sundays during COVID. Oh, cool. Um, kind of goes to the later answer, but right. 
so we, we've done the New Jersey, New, New York hikes. My kids had school on Sunday, Zoom. I'm like, yeah, you guys will skip it and you'll listen later. And so it's really hiking anywhere. So what is it about hiking then? That takes us back to the first question. So again, I think the isolation of hiking, that we can go to a place where really no one else is. Um, Again, my husband's really good at finding those places. We're not going to the ones once or twice. There's a lot of people on the hike. But for the most part, it's not. They're, They're really secluded. So it's the quiet. It's the nature. It's the connection with the nature. And it's that there's just so much beauty out there. So yeah, I could go you know, anywhere near here, but thank God I have the opportunity to see so much. And I think that's like, God has made a tremendous amount in this world. So it's like, almost like, what can we go see next? What do we need to see? Right. An excitement. But I would imagine there's a difference between like driving to a place like that and hiking. So is that, well, let me ask you this way. Is that new for you? Is that something that you always did? When did you start like hiking? Like specifically? I would say that's like more 10 years. Um, we have carriers for my kids. There, we've, we've put babies, infants, toddlers. Right. Um, so maybe more, I mean, I didn't hike when I was younger. We did camping. That was more like okay, so outdoors. stationary. <laughs> um, but we just got into it. I'm not sure how or why. The travel part of it, the nature part of it. So you're saying you don't know why? I don't know, I'm not sure. You don't know, but the connection part is, I think, is the big part that I know, I know I can go and like, obviously God is in my life around me, but I know it's a, it zones out everything else. Nothing else is going on. If you're hiking, I mean, because you could be in your car and do that. Yeah, but it's I don't mean to keep pressing you on it, but there's something there. It's the, it's the sound, it's the leaves. I'm a big waterfall fan, so... Norway had a million waterfalls. If we can hike, we get to a waterfall hike. There's something about the nature that's just, I guess it's calming, it's peaceful, it's quiet, even if my kids right. are running through. Is it, are, they, are they climbing hikes? Mostly. Mostly. Mostly mix. When, you know, if my kids can't do the major, more strenuous ones. Right. So we have a mix. We've done like vertical. Um, the Italian Alps was a vertical climb. Really? Yes. Wow. Crazy. Like like um, harnesses and everything? Yes. Seriously? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's so crazy. Um, and then there are ones that are just more like Mount Rainier, is just more strenuous hike. So I took my big boys that can go with the little ones. Right. So, so is that is was that something you, were you always adventurous in that way? Like climbing a mountain in no. a harness? It no. sounds terrifying. I know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I never imagined. I didn't really imagine that we would get into this. So what made you say yes to it? Like, why didn't you say no? I am, I'm adventurous at heart. You know, like, I like to do new things, and I like to try new things, and I like to... You're a yes person. Yeah. Okay. I'm a yes person. I like to feel younger than I am, so... Okay. Right. It seems youthful. It feels youthful. It is very... Exuberant. Yes. Okay, cool. Okay, so that's, that's a very... Clear description. Yeah. Okay, I'm happy we got there. Yeah. I feel like I know something about you I never would have known before. Right. <laughs> I, I actually have to, like, I have to, even a pat on my back, the Mount Rainier one was eight weeks postpartum. Oh, my God. Eight weeks after I had my baby. So, like, really, really superwoman here. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's really amazing. That's really a, that's a part of your, like, your nature. Yeah. 
That's cool. Okay, and and what is it that you learned from doing those kind of things? Like as opposed to like you can find all sorts of really nice places. We can go to the ocean. We're like literally a mile from the ocean. Yes. So okay, which is beautiful. That's yes, wonderful. I do that too. Right, yeah. but there's mm-hmm. something different about that. So what what did you learn in that journey of like going around the world, going to these faraway places that no one else goes to that are remote? Yeah. We have a bunch of friends that make fun of us. They're like, you're not just going to Florida and sitting in the beach and eating out? Right, exactly. It's exactly no. what I do. <laughs> yes, and everyone gives us a hard time. They're like, really? You would do that? I'm jealous, but I'm just yeah. wondering what you I mean, learned. we do way more than hiking, too. We'll right. do the zip lining and the... Zip lining, oh my God, yeah. Parish sailing and the... I mean, we do... Wow. You know, we haven't jumped out of a plane yet. I think that's next on the list. Seriously? You're going to do that? I think so. We might. That's so cool. I think it's just the idea of opportunity. Like there is so much you can do. There's so much fun you can have. I think life can, especially for me, can get very busy, can weigh us down. Um, we work really hard. You know, my I love, love my job, but it's a heavy job. It's an emotional job. So I think finding this just, it's an escape. It's a vacation. It's a getaway and it's like God's still over there and created so much. Like I almost feel like you're not going to see his world. You know, I think there's like that, um, I actually made my husband take me to the Swiss Alps because there's a, a Gamara or something like, Admi Avastrum, you're going to be asked, like, did you see my Alps? And yeah. I'm like, you know we have to get to the Alps. Right, right, right. Like, exactly. But that's a generic idea for did you see my world? Right, right. There's a story so, about uh, Roshan Shmafar Hirsch. He was sitting and learning, and he just stood up and said to his wife, "I have to go." And then he like took his like a walking cane, and he like left. And he came back a couple of days later or something. And she's like, "Where'd you go?" And he's like, "I went to see the Alps." Yes, I had to go. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I like yeah. that story. Yeah. Okay, so so the answer to your question is, I go because it's I can, and I go because it's there. That's okay. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like that. I never would have known that about you, honey. That's yeah. really cool. Okay, so uh, wow, that's <laughs> really cool. I go because I can, and I go because it's there. Okay, so the other question I asked you to think about was an episode in your life that gave you a sense of or a permission to have hope or optimism. You know, anyone who's encountered suffering, and particularly mental health professionals or people in leadership positions or people who are working with people, encounter their own and other people suffering all the time. And in life, we need like a little bit of a permission to have hope. So what is a- an episode in your life, or two, that that told you that hope is okay? Okay, breaking the rules again. These questions were very like, one thing, one thing? Right. That was hard for me. So it's more of an, again, an idea. Right. I look at our life as like a book. This is, I didn't make this up, but I use it a lot in my work my clients that were in like a narrative for me yeah we're in a different chapter we're in chapter however old you are you're in that chapter that's how I explain your chapters and I always say like we're not I can't see my chapter 50 or 90 or 70 or if I'm working with someone like I don't see your chapter next year like this is all we see so hope for me is when I get to be part of the later chapters for my clients and for myself so just this week, I do a lot of work with loss, infancy loss, miscarriages. Um, a client called me and told me she had a baby after her loss. 
um, working with someone in my office that um, is coming in after she just had a baby, after her loss. A friend of mine who lost her husband is now married, blending a family, and just had a baby. So those leader chapters are... Um, you know, the singles who get married. Oh, wow. Um, I just had actually two clients engaged this week. That's It's just so cool um, to see that. And I think for me that, um, and in my, my personal life, also through difficult times, I've gone through several pregnancy losses. Um, I just had a baby seven months ago. You know, that's my hope. Like, God says, like, you're okay, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it, right? Like, you're not going to see when that good is going to come. Right. But when I get to see it in someone's life, in my own personal life, it's just like, okay, it, it's there. Wow. So, okay, so you said something really interesting because, you know, obviously every time we encounter good things, like, okay, what's so nice? This person had a baby after they had a loss, right? But if you look at it, Without the narrative piece, which I want to get to in a second, you know, it's like okay, but they had a loss, right? So it's like it's nice we can't spend our whole lives just on the the candy store because like there's all the things that go on that are not don't fit in the candy store. But what you were talking about, that's like the way my skeptical, cynical brain works. But what you talked about was something I think really interesting, and that's what that's what really jumped out at me. I wanted to share. You were talking about looking at life through this kind of narrative lens, where you see that like our life is our human experience is a kind of like a, a journey that's unfolding. In some of the literature of Pneumia Satori, they talk about how God is kind of narrating the universe into right. existence. Right? Right. So God is like a, a writer and a narrator of right. the story of humankind and the story of the Jewish people and the story of each individual person. So when we're looking at life through that lens, then all of those really meaningful moments become points that we're which the chapters end or the chapters begin. And that's really kind of hopeful because it kind of gives you this sense of the journey of life, Mm -hmm. which I think is really cool. It's very different than like where that cynical thing, I've shared this on the podcast before, so it's not not new for anybody if you've listened to it before. You know, you talk to a kid because my parents split up when I was younger and it would be like, well, you get two Hanukkah presents now, right? I get two Hanukkah presents, it's pretty awesome, right? But it wasn't a consolation prize for the suffering. Right. But in this frame, Right, this whatever that is, the the baby, the finding a, a mate after an, a lengthy time being single or struggling to find that, or finding a new husband or a new wife after losing a spouse, those are not even so much consolation prizes for the suffering, but rather points at which the story makes the narrative, the story, the journey of our life kind of makes a shift towards good. And that can kind of really be hopeful. And I think that's really empowering because it, and it's really, it's very practical because it it encourages us to begin to look at our lives in that way and to look for those points. Sometimes those points, by the way, I think could be rather uncomfortable. And looking at the uncomfortable points in that way, I think it also would be empowering. But like as we see people and ourselves overcome those things, it kind of gives us that, that frame. Yeah. And it doesn't take away the pain. There's so much pain. Right. But that in that question of like, where do you find hope? Because we do sit with so much pain and everyone has, has their pain in their own journey. Just even raising kids, you know, if there's like just that difficult child, right? Right. So that hope is when I get to see chapter 
20 when that kid or maybe 25 or 30 right. <laughs> straightened out and, and did okay and got married when we saw that chapter and that pain of, you know, he didn't have a way, you know, like right. who knows what was going to be with him. Right. Wow. I was talking to someone last night. This also kind of jumped out as related to this also. Like when, when a person's able to look back at their life and see the way in which whatever they went through, their suffering, is meaningful for, let's say, for somebody else, where they can give back to other people. Yeah, making right? meaning. So, so that kind of really relates to this idea also, because now you've kind of like uh, revealed the way in which the earlier chapters were leading towards the later chapters. Right? So you kind of like begin to see a... A vision. It's a little bit of that Marabu Masecha Hashem. Yeah, it's a little, a little bit connected to the uh, to the hike. I, it's actually very connected to the hike. I would think, getting to the end, climbing all the way. Okay, that was really cool. Okay, really interesting. Okay, so the the third thing I asked you to think about was, I asked you to think about a specific folk story or two, uh, or a spiritual proverb, something that reflects you and something that you draw a guiding principle from. Okay, so Shlomo Amelach wore a ring that said, Gamza Yavor. So we all know that saying, this too shall pass. I'm not sure everyone knows where it's from. And I am not currently wearing it. I'll get to that in a minute. Have a necklace that says Gamza Yavor. And it's become pretty much the way I'm able to get through life. The idea behind it with, with Shlomo was when things are down and difficult and hard, this is going to pass, but also the opposite. Don't think that when you're high and mighty and you have the kingdom and all the riches in the world, this is also going to pass. So it's humbling and it's encouraging. And I wear this necklace and through, I think I got the necklace about 15 years ago when I was going through a difficult experience. And through the years, um, I actually have given it to someone close to me that was hospitalized for postpartum depression, someone who lost her husband until she got remarried. I just gave it last week to a friend who's going through a really difficult time with one of her children. And I say, just give it back to me when you're done. Wow. So hopefully no one loses along right. the way. But that's really meaningful. Yeah. Wow. So, you've, so you had that necklace and that necklace was a symbol for you that helped you get through that moment and then you've shared it with other people. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, a friend of mine had breast cancer. She wore it through and thank God's in remission. So I'm like, I'll take it back now. <laughs> and That's so sweet that you pass it on to other people. That's, like, that's such a meaningful thing. Yeah. It happens, I think, actually, because I bought two of them and me and my friend wore them. Yeah. And then she experienced something and had lost it. So I'm like, oh, you can borrow mine. Right. And then I took it back, and then someone else was going through something. I'm like, well, maybe she needs it now. So, And now it's become like a tradition. A little bit. Do you wear it after? Yeah, I'm always wearing it. Meaning when you take it back, you yeah, wear it. I'm always wearing that it. That sounds so intense. <laughs> it does sound intense. As I'm saying it, it does sound intense. But this idea of Gamza Yavar, like, I need to have that. I need to hold on to that. You know, it's it's just a part of you know, that, you know, let go, let God, I need to be able to do that on a day-to-day basis right. with all the things that people are going through. 
And when I can get to like, ooh, okay, everything's going well, everything's great. Right, so that's a reminder. Just a reminder. It's just fascinating to think about like how much... um, how much energy is in that necklace? Yeah. You have all these people that have been carrying it around. It's yeah. like, it seems like a very substantive. Yeah. It's nice to own something like that. Yeah. That has like, that's carried so many people through so much suffering. Yeah. Wow. It's nice when I can take it back. And I, yeah. and I say that to them. I'm like, this you'll have and you'll wear it. Hopefully it won't be a long time. And thank God none of them have been these long, long, long episodes, but... Some more for a few years. What's that exchange like? Do you have do you have you asked for it back or like they let yes. you know that they're finished? I've asked for it back because I usually need it. Okay. I just shared that I've had many miscarriages, so then I'm going through something. I'll be like, I think you're done with it. Can I have it? Right. Okay. Or when I see that they're okay, I'll be like, I'm done with my c- necklace. It's usually the a transition point when someone needs it or I need it. Mm. So. Have you experienced it, that as being significant for people, like giving it back to you? Not really. Not really. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't as meaningful to them that it was. To them as it is to you. When I gave it to them, it was like significance, but the giving it back wasn't so, for me, it was a relief. Like, oh, you're done with this. Okay. Um, I'm not sure I felt like a, a deep, like, oh my goodness, this got me through. Right, right. Maybe it no. So it sounds so intense. I don't know. Am I like just? <laughs> no. As I'm repeating it, it sounds intense. I didn't even think it was that intense. Yeah, yeah. Just something that I've done. Right, right. I don't think even know anyone. I just actually just shared it with a friend last night that I that I do this, and she's like, "What?" And I'm like, "I don't think I've even ever shared this with anyone before." So. Wow. It's. I mean, it's very meaningful. It's very nice. It's very sweet. It sounds like a very. It sounds like everyone should do that in some way, right? Like it's like a it's like a nice thing. It's also like a way to, you know, you talk about like. Sharing with others of your suffering, this is like a, it takes it to the yeah. to a whole different level. It's kind of like really. Yeah. Um, there could be a bit of it that's selfish, like a helplessness. Like I don't know what to do here. Take my necklace. <laughs> like I'm not. You know what I mean? A little bit. It could be. Just I have to be honest. Like I can't really help you through this, or I can't fix this. But Gamzayev, or like it, this is gonna pass. Mm. So. When you when you first got it, who got who got it for you? I bought it for myself in the old city. I think it's the Hadaya. Oh, it's a, it's one of those things. It's one of those. You know what those yeah, yeah. those beautiful rings and necklaces. Yeah, it's a really small one. Just says Gamzayavor. Simple. Okay. Oh, so people can go buy their own if they yes, want. Yes, they right. can. <laughs> and share it with others. That's really nice. Okay, that's really cool. Okay, so we really know you. That's really cool. Really gotten to know you uh, in this process. Very a lot of sharing and a lot of personal experience and a lot of like kind of journeying uh, throughout those your answers. So let's jump into kind of some of the practical things that you've done. A that have allowed you, helped you to get through the different circumstances in your life, helping other people, but also to accomplish what you have because you, you're you have accomplished. So I ask you to share with the audience a daily practice or a habit that you have that you feel contributes to your personal success. Um, it could be particularly someone that no one knows about or it's private, like giving people your comms that you have for a necklace, but something you know, down-to-earth, practical. So I'm actually a really hard worker because I have to be to work in progress, to stay grounded, to just be normal. <laughs> so I do a lot of things. Um, I work a lot of a few different programs. Um, 
But one thing in particular, kind of very practical, is I learn Chovos um, Havavos. The specific edition is Reva Victor Miller's edition on that. Okay. And I encourage everyone to learn Amuna because I definitely feel like Amuna is a muscle. You need to practice it. You need to work it out every single day. And specifically, Chovos Havavos, one of my Rebbeim actually suggested when I was going through something difficult a few years ago, he said, you need to learn this every day. And I've just been trying to learn it every day. And it's really, it's at another level than the regular, and they're all good. Everyone should do what they can. The regular Amuna books and stories and commentaries, It's there's a tremendous amount of depth to it and review and practical application of Amuna. Because Amuna can just be, faith can just sound very like, oh, I have faith, I believe. But it it digs and really delves into the depth, digs, delves, depth of God doing everything for us. Mm. Like every detail of, of my life is God. So... And seeing it that way. Yeah. And the way in which there's a divine hand in all the, all the different details of your life. So, and you, so you do that every day? I try. Have you, have you? I have to give credit to my chavrusa. She's, she's more on it than I am. Okay. I, have you like completed? Like, I you, have. So you're like going through it again? Yeah. So, Rev. Victor Mill is not like light. It's heavy. Right. It's yeah. intense. I mean, I read, we read a few pages every day. That's it. Okay. A few pages is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Just or a section or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I I discovered over time is if you just read a couple pages of a book, like within a very short amount of time, you'll you'll cover a lot of ground. Well, that's the idea of learning Musser. Like every day, like I I do a lot of Musser, Rev Volpa's Musser works um, also every day, a few minutes, over and over and over and over. Right. That's it. Then it gets in. And right. it, I definitely can look back over the years and see a shift, a shift, a real shift. In uh, is the shift in what you understand faith to be, or is the shift the amount of faith that you have? Because it sounds like you have like a very particular. I didn't fully get it, but I got that there was like okay, what I understand Amuna to be is not what it was, or what other people understand it to be. Like Amuna, like what is that? Right. So I think it's both. I think the idea of what Amuna is, what it's supposed to be, how it affects me. I think growing up, I grew up in a regular, you know, house. My parents were Bali Chuva, so I, I don't know that I really felt God, what, you know, in such a, in your Kishka's way. Um, and I think for me, that's what I've developed. You know, I'm all over step three. Like, I need to let go, let God every single second because by nature, I'm a controlling person. So that idea that he runs, he runs the world is a very nice concept. But right. he runs my intricate, everyday inner being. He will do for me what I can't do and on every level. But it sounds like you're trying to articulate. I don't, I'm just trying to tease it out because it mm-hmm. sounds like you're trying to say something 
that's like somewhat different because on the one hand you're saying well, this is not a philosophical statement of God's in charge of everything. That's a nice thing. Okay, let's say okay. you believe that, right? Meaning if you if we were to translate like emuna into faith, right? So then faith is just what you happen to believe, right? So like reading a book about faith is like reading a philosophy book that proves to me God's existence or right. God's omnipresence in my life. But it seems to be you're talking about something very, very different. You're talking about an attitude. A feeling also. You could believe something, right? right? I believe God exists. Right? We have beliefs all the time. I believe the world's around. And you can live it and feel it. And I think these different things have brought me to that. You know, That place of a more existential awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's what you're working on when you're reading them every day. Yes. Is so. There's two pieces here to your answer. One is a daily study. Yes. And then B, particularly, kind of transitioning your theoretical faith into a more conscious awareness. And that and that you feel has kind of helped you to get through life and also help you to manage your tendency to want to control things. Yeah. Meaning to let go. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that resonates with me. Okay, so the, the next thing I asked you to do is if I asked you to pick uh, one thing about one relationship that makes that relationship awesome and, and work. Uh, so what would that one thing be and what are the steps you take to foster that? So yeah, this one I was debating on whether to share or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how personal to get on consciously podcast and also not to at the same time wanting to stay humble and not be like, oh, this is so perfect in my life. But I think it's important because actually I just listened also to what was your most recent post? Are you doing a marriage series? I want to do a marriage series, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Go, go, go. Okay, so this is going to very much relate. I was so excited to listen to that. I actually had a different answer and then I listened to that and then I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to share this because I think as a couples therapist, um, it's scary to just see the difficulties in marriage, the things people are having a hard time with, just the places people get stuck. So for me, um, my relationship with my husband, the ability that we have, and I'm going to say we because I don't think it's just me. I think he's actually way better at it to um, let go of things, be so well, not not giving giving in, and I'm very particular when I say these words because I I find that people will then go into a place of resentment. I said if you're going to do this, and then it's going to be a resentment, then it's not really the right. real thing. Right. But giving 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 in, um, letting go of an idea, letting go of something you want for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of that. A very special relationship. And I love how you explained it on your podcast, celebrating, you know, that union, that new entity. When, and that's just something we are always working on. And I think it just makes the relationship work and go smoothly because of that. Okay, so I want to I wanna follow up a couple questions. So first of all, yeah, I'm, I want to do a series on marriage, particularly because... The intention, it relates to your answer, actually. That's why I want to explain it. But also maybe to plug it, it's really nice. I was actually at the wedding last night 
of the people that I oh, dedicated the, the so episode nice. to. Yeah, it was so really, fun. really nice. Yeah, thank God. It's one of those chapter shifts yeah. that we were talking about earlier. So I feel like marriage, a working marriage, requires a lot of sacrifice, which is what you were alluding to. And oftentimes when you talk about, people talk about wanting to fix their relationships or adjust their relationships or change their relationships, it's because the relationship's not working for them and they want the relationship to work, which is good. I think that's wonderful, Mm -hmm. right? Even like when we talk about like psychotherapeutic techniques and tools to make marriages work, it's almost as if marriage is a requirement or a necessity and then like the question is how can I survive it? Right? How can I get along without like getting out of it because the pain of being out of the marriage is more painful than being in it or something. And there's a very kind of negative association that I think develops. And really, not every marriage works out. That's a reality in the sense that not every marriage works out in the sense of being permanent. right? And that's a tragedy. But having said that, the Torah clearly states, Lo tov it's not good for, for men and women to be alone. And being in an intimate relationship with someone you're not related to, as opposed to like the relationship we have with our parents or with our kids, or the blood kind of connections, it's a very unique relationship. And it's a relationship that's worthwhile to sacrifice for. And trying to spend time developing more and more thoughts, which is, that's the hope. So I want to, the more and more thoughts about why why is it worth? Why is it worth it? Why, why is it worth the sacrifice? Why not? You know, okay, so get married, survive for 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. get kids, split up. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like looking at this article someone sent me about couples that stay married but live separately, right? Right, which is, okay, whatever. I mean, maybe that's better. You know, maybe that's better than getting divorced. Right. Maybe you can Some remain cases. a unit for your right. kids. That's right. I, it's fine if yeah. that's what works for you. I'm not going to ascribe judgment. And in a lot of ways, I think that married people, particularly like on a on the wrong day, might feel like that sounds kind of nice, you right. know, like right? yes, <laughs> like, yes. like why? But but I think that there's a reason to not do that. Yes. Aside from like, okay, this is like the most incredible relationship ever, and I never have any challenges, right? And I just want to be with this person all day long. The institution of marriage itself, the idea of being in relationship with another person, whoever that person is, is inherently worthwhile. Yes. So, so you were talking about a component of marriage, right? So that's like the series, and maybe we'll even do a follow-up because we I do like to do follow-ups with our guests, as you know, and uh, so maybe just kind of have you in to talk about something related to that, like why? Why is marriage so good? What's special about it? Um, and I'm hoping to, I'd, I'd like to do more of that. I'd like that's to talk so about great. that more. Yeah. So you were talking about this idea of developing a capacity of humility that allows you to to tolerate, yes. to, to use the word sovel, to, to, to let go, yes. to give in when it doesn't cause resentment, right? Which is a, a very, very important like tool and a very important principle. I remember I was like seeing a, I was working with a, a father and a son. I was working with the son and then I was working with the father because it was odd, the whole conflict between them, the kid was in high school. Okay, so he was in high school B, let's say. Okay, he wanted to be in high school A. A was a more left-wing, modern Orthodox school. The father wanted him to be in high school C, which is a more kind of right-wing yeshiva, yeshiva school. So they they compromised on B, and then each hated and resented each other for it. Right. <laughs> so it took some while to unpack that, yeah. but the minute I unpacked that, it was like, 
not me, I, we, the minute we unpack that in the session, it was like a light bulb went off in their heads. The, fa- the son hated the, fa- the father for making him go to the B school. Yes. And the father really resented his son for going to the B school, when in actuality, going to the B school was an act of love between the two of them, right. trying to find middle ground. Yeah. You know, and I think that we do that often, right? Which is like, if you're going to compromise, you want to make sure that the compromise is from a place of love. Exactly. And not from a place of resentment. Okay, so that's yes. like a very, very that's important super critical. component. Um, so the, but the follow-up question I wanted to have is, okay, so like A, how? How do you, how do, you okay. do that? Like when, yes. when there's a need for tolerance, okay. right? So like how, how do you overcome that practically? And then maybe a little bit of a teaser, like why? Why, why is it worth it to tolerate it? We're, we're, we're selfish people. So I think that kind of just gets in our way. So like there's this... You mean as humans, we're kind of like self-centered. We're we're very self-centered. We're selfish. We want things our way. So a working marriage is just that. It's work. To be able to say, do I need this to go my way? Like why does it need to go my way? Right. Just because I need to have my way or because I feel so strongly about this. And for myself and my relationship... And when I work with couples, to be able to see that if you give in for the sake of your marriage, the end result will most, almost 99.9% will be much better, right? Mm-hmm. I, that's one aspect. The other aspect is when you developed, when you each couple develops this idea and they could do it for each other, then when something is of importance, real importance, then you have much more weight to come to the relationship and say, listen, I need this. This needs to happen. I can't go your way. Mm. Because, and I always say, if for every, it's almost like that, the, um, is it 80 20 rule with kids? 80% of the time we say yes, 20% of the time we say no. It's almost the same. I, I do a nine out of 10. If you can give in nine out of 10 times, consistently, then that 10th time means something. Then that 10th time that your partner will take seriously will recognize, hey, this is important to them. And you most likely, again, that outcome usually ends up being you getting, if you can step outside the selfishness for a minute, really the thing you really need or you really want. Okay, so there's there's a, a lot of pragmatism to how you're presenting it, which is like, okay, let's say, let's... Let's get off the the, the soapbox that says, oh, let's all be so selfless, right? Okay, so we're human beings and we yes. apparently want things our way, maybe for good reason. Yeah. Right? I want my I want things to be in our home to be a certain way because I think that's what's best for our kids. Yes. You think what's best for your kids, right? Because selfish has like a very like a yeah. uncomfortable feeling. But I, I I like the fact that you're being kind we of We feel of fact strongly about, about something. Right, right. That no, no, be, no. Right? And not selfish in a bad, awful way. Right. Sometimes it can get into that. But like, no, I want to raise my kids this way. I think it's really important that he goes right. there. Right, right, exactly. So so there's one piece of it which is and this is a very kind of practical how-to, which I liked a lot, which is to realize that every time you have the opportunity to give in, you're doing something for your relationship. It's like a kind of a, a very like backhanded pretzel way of doing a very loving act. 
So I like that a lot. Yes. Right? So like, and it, it really gives a clear mechanism. Like you love your spouse. You want to have a happy marriage. You want that marriage to foster and grow. You want to have this wonderful relationship. You want to have a happy home. Let me find times where I can set aside my impulse to control or to be self-centered or to have it my way and not and do it their way in the interest of this beautiful entity that I want to invest in. Right. Right. So it's like a, it's a, it's an interesting kind of pretzel yeah. deal, but but it, it's very loving though, and and, and it's hard. I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not gonna. It's very hard for me. I admit it. I'm controlling. I like things a certain way. We have a joke in the house. My husband always says like Ema's boss, and the kids right. will be like Ema's boss. Right. But when there's something that my husband needs and it feels as important, it's fine because he's able to do this for me. Right. Okay, so that, that, that leads into the second part, which is very pragmatic, like extremely pragmatic, which is if you're constantly insisting on your own way, then what you do is you shut the door to being able to assert yourself. So there's like a, that's a very practical yes. kind of suggestion. Like, yes. okay, putting aside all this fluffy marriage stuff, you right? I don't mean that negatively, no, no, pejoratively, right? But putting, if we put yes. that aside, pragmatically, if you don't more carefully choose where to put your foot down, then you're always putting your foot down, and then you never really have depth and weight to expressing your needs, yes. right? So, so part of the way, it's like, well, how do I learn how to be more tolerant? How do I learn to let go? Well, it's like, well, would you like to have depth and weight in your needs, or do you want everything like which soda you're going to buy for Shabbos, and also which school, let's say, you're going to right. send your kid to to have the same depth because it's all just about you getting your way, right. right? As opposed to like, well, this I was able to put aside, but this is really important to me. And there's no way to communicate that to somebody other than self-censoring, so to speak. Yes. Kind of being picking and choosing more carefully. Okay, it was really, that was very practical. I okay, like that. I like good. that a lot. I it's really good. So. Okay, so the, I wish it upon so many. I really do. It's It's something I find... As a couples therapist, people always will ask me, like, what do you think the problem is? Right? Like, there's one problem, right? Right. But I think this is a big nakuda of it. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine, can't... like, this point of reference on both of those sides, meaning, A, from that purely pragmatic place, right, is very, very real because now you're giving substance to each person. It's almost like an affirmation in it. Yeah. You're affirming yourself by, by limiting your expectations and insistence, right? And then the other side of it is kind of like you're giving, you're talking about an area where you're able to invest in the other person and invest in the relationship in a really meaningful way, like constantly. Yes. Right, like by kind of the willingness to put oneself aside. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good. Okay, so the last two questions I asked you to think about was, first of all, uh, a mantra that you have that helps you stay grounded. We talked about humility before and just kind of like staying normal and regular. Um, so how do you do that? And and then the other the other question is, what do you do to kind of handle burnout or emotional downs or like when you know when you're you know you're just feeling like right. you want to go to the Alps? Right. right? So, <laughs> what else do you do? Yes. Okay. So um, the Serenity Prayer. Oh, okay. Can I just assume everyone knows it on, no. on your podcast or not? Uh, maybe. So, okay, so the serenity prayer goes, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, I was raised with a serenity prayer, but I didn't really know what it was or where it came from. It was before my discovery and walking into the rooms of recovery. But now it is... 
hope it's okay if I say this, it becomes before my moda'ani in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it is used many, many times a day. So I can recognize, stop, pause, figure out what, what I need to do, where I need to go. Serenity is a really important thing for me. Um, my daughter that I just had, her Hebrew name is Shalva, which okay. means serenity. That's beautiful. Because she became my serenity after um, my losses. And that's something I'm just always trying to find and trying to incorporate in my life. So grant me serenity, accept the things I cannot change. That's me letting go of my control. Accept the things I cannot change. I don't have any control of this. Let go, let God. And then the courage to change the things I can. And that's just asking God for you know, strength and understanding and wisdom and, you know, which way I should go Um, and the wisdom to know the difference, to really just be able to differentiate at those times when I need to just take a seat, take a pause, not in in my hands, or actually be active and go do something. Mm. And so you find yourself saying that prayer throughout the day? Oh, many times. (laughs) But it sounds like it's interesting because you're you're highlighting a really interesting thing. There's like a separation between... And prayer is cool because it could be that way. You know, there's a part of prayer where, like, you're asking, you're making a request. You're seeking power from a power greater than yourself to help you get through that moment. But there's another part of what you were talking about is where prayer is like a mantra. You're almost like training yourself back into a way of thinking that you know is what's going to work best for you. Yeah. Right? So it's like you're almost talking to yourself, so to speak, in the prayer. Or you're inviting God to pray join you in your journey to try to be accepting and courageous and wise. Yes. Right. So that's interesting. So it's, okay, that's really, so that's your mantra. That is it. I I just, I have to like, I need it. I need it badly. Great. Okay, Connie, that was really great. So last question, specific steps you take to recharge or handle burnout. Yeah, because there's a lot of that in our fields Mm -hmm. and we're human and we're holding a lot of, a lot of people's emotions so the hiking I wish could be a daily thing because that would probably do it for me. Um, so that's on the occasion. Um, but I'm also a runner. So running just gets it all out. It really lets go of everything. It takes my stress away. It clears my head. It's either jamming music really loud so I don't have to think about anything or it's listening to Menachem's podcasts or it's some other sheer or meeting or something and that's how I just keep myself going running yeah did you always run no when did you start 20 years I guess it's been a long time but 20 years ago was it hard for you did it come natural to you yeah it came natural just because I'm more athletic I'm a little stronger like the hiking it's it's not a difficult thing Okay. I'm not a um, marathon runner. I don't do that for the, I ran the 5K, the marathon. I I just do it for myself. Not distance kind of thing? No. No. Okay, cool. I always found it like super, I don't know, I don't have stamina like that. I don't know. It's funny. A lot of people have talked about running. I'm like jealous. Well, when people talk about yoga, I'm jealous because I'll sit for a second. I'll be like, well, I gotta get that. Oh yeah. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> I just move. I can't. It's so slow. It's so slow. So I I think like the most critical part of that is like 
everyone needs to really finds what works for them for burnout, for exercise, you know, I think just exercise in general is critical self-care. So. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, absolutely. Um, but it's it the, the particular way in which exercise works for particular people is something that I find interesting. Okay, Khani, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Menachem. This is awesome. <laughs> it's thank a lot you. of fun. Thank you so much.